This is Chris McBrien from Pop Goes Your World, and you're listening to From Paper to People. And welcome to 2020's first episode of From Paper to People's Family Cookbook. I am Carolyn D. Lachlan, your hostess with the mostest, and you can support me and this podcast at patreon.com slash ancestors alive. So we are in some parts of the world on lockdown right now because of covid and a lot of people are panicking, and a lot of people are making runs on stores and stocking up insanely on toilet paper. Like, what are you going to do? Make a casserole out of it and eat it? And I'm thinking about a lot of things, but I think primary in my mind is nourishment. There are a lot of ways that we can nourish ourselves and one another. One is certainly spiritually by being kind to one another. And there is actually a wonderful rush of that out there in the world that makes me very, very happy, despite the fact that other people are running around buying up all of the baby formula and hoarding that so that people who are on rationed income can't buy it. And that makes me upset. So I don't know. I'm in a mood. I'm in a little bit of a mood. (laughs) Have to admit it. I am in a little bit of a mood. But I'm thinking about my own food culture, and how it supports food storage, because food storage is a big deal for people who are Latter-day Saints. We are taught to be self-reliant and to have food storage on hand, as well as to store up some income in the case of losing a job or an earthquake or whatever other natural disaster might come toward us. And life is unpredictable. So we have to be prepared. It's a bit of a luxury, I have to admit, to be prepared, because it means that you have the ability to get things ahead of time. And so I do understand that people are, you know, buying five frozen chickens and that kind of thing. I have a storage freezer, one of those freezer chests, And I keep it full of both ingredients like chopped vegetables that are frozen and ready to go so that I can make something out of them and things that I've made in bulk and I'm either storing in bulk or I'm storing in individual serving containers, things like soups. I mean, right now in my freezer chest, I have chili, I have a split pea vegetable soup, I have ham and a bunch of different kinds of vegetables that are ready to be made into, I don't know, whatever I want. I've got eggs, and so I can always make and freeze frittatas. I've got um, canned things like beans, and those can be made into other sorts of soups and chilies, or I can make black-eyed peas. I've got uh, rice. I've got pasta. I have a lot of different kinds of things on hand because I don't like to be bored. If I'm going to just be eating out of a freezer chest 
and whatever's in my fridge, I want to make sure that I am not boring myself to death. Otherwise, I will feel deprived. And then it will turn into self-pity. And then it just the whole thing gets very ugly and goes off the rails very, very quickly. I'm in a situation of considerable privilege in that I have a ready food supply. And so that's what I'm doing. But I was looking at the recipes that I have from my grandmother and from my mother. And I was thinking about my own food culture. Now, I have to preface this by saying, in my world, food culture (laughs) is a slightly odd term to apply to somebody who's 100% Northern and Western European. Because, I mean, my ancestors are like a lot of boilers. They boil stuff. They boil stuff and then they put it together with other boiled stuff that they occasionally put into a casserole and bake And then we have baked boiled stuff. And that's pretty much it. And it's not very much seasoning or anything like that that's added to it. So it's not very well seasoned, which means it's just not, you know, all that interesting. I have learned some things, though, from looking through my mother's and my grandmother's recipes, things that can actually be good standbys that you can make and freeze, including desserts. I'm going to give you a cake recipe today. And things that are borrowed from other cultures, I have a chili sauce for enchiladas and an enchiladas recipe to go with it that comes from a friend of my grandmother's. That stuff was shared around a lot in Texas, so it's really more Tex-Mex than Mexican. It's not necessarily a bad thing to be dull and boring. It isn't. Because as long as you'll eat it, the food is a good thing. And there is an element of comfort in dull and boring food for me. Because I grew up with some. I won't say that my mother's cooking was all dull and boring. It actually wasn't. There was a lot of interesting stuff going on in her kitchen. But dull and boring has its merits. It's got a lot of merit when I'm ill. I really crave very simple foods when I'm ill. I crave mashed potatoes when I'm ill, like as a meal. The entire meal, a big bowl of mashed potatoes, not even gravy. So... The comfort of having something familiar is good. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that are familiar and or that you can make and freeze really easily with ingredients that you probably have on hand and that you don't have to go and get. But first, this service message. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Information about children with this disease is limited, but they are known to have had mild symptoms. Many organizations are responding accordingly, depending upon their area. It's best to stay home and away from others, especially when sick, and continue following healthy hand wash guidelines, covering mouth and nose and not touching your face or high-touch surfaces. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces regularly, and for more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. While the information about the CDC website is geared toward Americans, the rest of the information is for everyone across the world. We're going to start with dessert, because why not? So we're going to start with dessert that is called Susie's or a Gloria's apple cake. And culturally, the thing I like about this is the first copy of the recipe is in my grandmother's handwriting. And the second copy, identical copy of the recipe, I mean, identical ingredients, is something that my mother typed out on her IBM Selectric. So I know that it went down for sure through two generations. And Susie or Gloria, these must have been two women who were women that my grandmother knew through the military. 
because my grandmother was a military wife, as I've said before, as my mother's mother. She was uh, the wife of a colonel who was also a surgeon in the army, and they moved around a lot. And there was a lot of entertaining to be done because they were entertaining other officers and officers' wives and families. So there was kind of a standard to be held up. And this was, you know, the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. So that's the whole take. And that's where this is coming from. So Susie's or Gloria's apple cake. All you need to go out and buy, really, is apples. And if you have apples on hand, then you've got everything you need, I'm sure. You need one and a quarter cups of vegetable oil, two cups of sugar, two eggs well-beaten, three cups of flour, one teaspoon of baking soda, a quarter teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of vanilla, a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, three cups of diced apple, peeled or not, that's up to you, be you, do what you like, and a quarter cup of chopped pecans, optional. Mix oil, sugar, and eggs. Add dry ingredients, all sifted or mixed together. Add the rest. Batter will be stiff. Bake in greased sheet pan at 350 degrees for one hour. If you prefer a thicker cake, use a loaf pan, oblong cake pan, or tube pan. The cake freezes well, even with the cream cheese icing, because yes, there's icing. Use only firm red apples and do not use corn oil. Mix by hand only, do not use mixer. Okay, so when she's saying firm red apples, the point of that is if you use Macintoshes, they are super wet and juicy. And so they're going to make funny, soggy holes around the apple chunks. And you don't want that. But any firm apple is going to do it. If you like the counterbalance of sweet and tart, go for some Granny Smiths. Use really whatever you can find. There is no limitation. This is a great way to use some apples, though. And as I say, to then freeze it. And here's your icing. One stick of margarine, one eight-ounce packet of cream cheese, one box of powdered sugar, which is a pound, and a teaspoon of vanilla. Cream the cheese and margarine together. Add the vanilla and sugar. Mix well and spread on the fresh apple cake. Then you can slice that up, wrap those pieces, throw them in the freezer, and you've got something tasty on hand so that you don't feel deprived. Okay. Now, second, we're going to go to Mrs. Sherwood's chili sauce for enchiladas and enchiladas. This is in my grandmother's hand. It's written in two different kinds of pen plus pencil, which means she made it multiple times and remarked and marked and marked on the card. And also there are some splash marks. So (laughs) apparently this was a well-used one. So the chili itself is, huh, I don't quite understand. I'm just going to read you what I can from her handwriting. Okay, so bear with me. One and a half pounds of ground meat, which is one pound of beef and a half pound of pork. Okay, that's good flavor. Six medium onions, green peppers to make one half, I have no idea. It looks like one half amount. I see. Okay, so if you've got six medium onions, then you want to have half as much again of that in green peppers in that in the gross of that you see what i'm saying then you grind those up so you can chop those fine you can put them in the food processor whatever you want two-thirds of a cup of oil in the pan add peppers and onions and cook them down in the pan in the two-thirds of a cup of oil 
add the meat and cook that down until all the juice is gone. Mix three and a half teaspoons salt and four rounded tablespoons of chili powder with water to make a paste. Add that to the meat. Add two tablespoons of flour for every pound of meat. So if you're using a a pound and a half of ground meat, that is three tablespoons of flour. Add one quart of tomatoes and one teaspoon of cumin seed. Put four garlic cloves on toothpicks so they can be removed. And then I guess you're just to, that's where the directions end. So I guess you're supposed to just continue to cook that down together for a little while until, I don't know, it looks like it works. Now, personally, I would not put the garlic cloves on toothpicks so that they can be removed because removing garlic is against my religion. I would simply chop up that garlic as fine as I possibly could and cook it with the medium onions and the green peppers. Because, I mean, why waste garlic, y'all? But remember, my grandmother was born at the turn of the century in Omaha, so we can't blame her. Okay, now we have the recipe for enchiladas themselves. That was the filling. Two and a half pounds of sharp cheese, two and a half pounds of onions. Grind onions and then the cheese and mix. Add enough chili to make it stick together. That's the chili that you just made. Dip tortillas in chili, put cheese mix on and roll. Put in layer in baking dish, add chili to each layer. Bake one hour in 350 degree oven, serve with more chili. Okay, so that is a little bit tortured. I think the way that I would do it is a lot simpler. My mother used to take the corn tortillas and she would dunk them in very low heat oil. And she would just dip them in and kind of poke them around with tongs and then pull them back out again just to soften them up. And then that's how she would roll her filling. She would roll her filling in those. You can also just simply layer tortillas and then the the filling and then tortillas and the filling and the tortillas and the filling. And of course, you need some sour cream in there somewhere. I don't know why this isn't talking about sour cream, because another thing that is a religious observance for me is you need you some sour cream. So there's that. But hey, go hog wild. That's just a base. Where are the ancho chilies in all of this? Where did that go? I'd put some ancho chilies in there like right away. There are all kinds of fun things that you can do with that as a base recipe. And that's definitely what I would do. Now the last recipe is the ultimate comfort food for me. And I remember my mother making this for me, although this particular recipe card is also in my grandmother's hand, and it is chicken with Yorkshire pudding. I love a good Yorkshire pudding. And I love those pans, the super deep pans, you know, that you're supposed to butter first. They're six cups and they're like held together with wire. You know, I love those things. They're so cool. And I love a good Yorkshire pudding. But this makes it a little bit easier because it bakes the whole thing in the pan. And this is the ultimate comfort food to me because when I am upset, worried, sick, whatever, my belly's on the fritz, whatever it is, I really like to go to something that's kind of eggy and kind of carby, and this is exactly that. For this, you need six chicken legs and thighs, a quarter cup of flour, a teaspoon of salt, a half teaspoon of paprika, a half teaspoon of pepper, and then it says you toss the chicken in all of that. So you put the flour, salt, paprika, and pepper 
in a bag. That's usually what I do. I put it in a, in a Ziploc bag, and then I I toss the chicken piece by piece in that to coat it. You saute the chicken until well browned. Place in a baking dish and preheat the oven to 425. Now, here is the Yorkshire pudding part of the recipe. With an electric beater, beat four eggs and two cups of milk, two cups of flour, a half teaspoon of baking powder, a teaspoon of salt, and a teaspoon of tarragon. Hmm, that was a little twist of my grandmother's, I'm sure. And she wants you to make that until it is a smooth batter. You're going to beat that until it's a smooth batter. Pour it into the pan around the chicken and then bake that for 25 to 30 minutes or until the pudding is a deep golden brown and serve it with milk gravy. Mm, I'll leave the milk gravy to you. You can do any gravy you want to. You can do whatever you want to. You don't need to do gravy at all. Personally, I would do a gravy. I mean, because I'm a gravy kind of gal. But, you know, that's just me. And that is what I'm thinking about right now in terms of food. This is a tough time for all of us, and we need to think about the ways that we can nourish ourselves and one another. Please stop by the group on Facebook. It is called From Paper to People. Join up. All you need to do is answer three questions and agree to the admin rules, and you're in. It's a lovely community of people. We're very kind to one another. We have a lot of fun. We joke around a lot. We also help each other with lookups, and we help each other just with ideas about how to attack certain problems in genealogy. It's a good place to be. It's not rigid. It's not mean. It's just groovy. So cook for yourselves, cook for one another, be good to each other, and wash your hands. Mm -hmm.